Of course, everyone was uh, super enthusiastic about it because we have quite some uh, techies at Pol.coms. And the third way um, we um, identify is the rip and replace, which means start all, all over again. We have around 60-70% of our workloads already running in the Google Cloud. If we think uh, those uh, solutions will benefit our application and it's really suitable the, for the use case, then we will go for them. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bol.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you, speaking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Bol.com the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers. Yeah, welcome. Great that you're listening again to our podcast. And we have, uh, yeah, I think again, a very interesting uh, topic. So a few years ago, we started with moving uh, some of our applications uh, to the cloud. And today we have uh, Two of the specialists who really are doing some uh, great stuff with uh, with that. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to this conversation. Yes, exactly. And with uh, the, the two guests of this show, we are going to talk about yeah, maximizing the benefits of the cloud. Um, so that sounds like a, a huge subject in itself. Uh, there's a lot of items to touch upon. So what we want to do is uh, yeah, kind of structure it in uh, and maybe um, maybe you listen to some earlier episodes about going to the cloud. Uh, well, refresh on that one. And then we uh, we take one example um, from it uh, in which we dive into more into detail and talk about uh, yeah, make, maximizing those those benefits of the cloud. So, uh, yeah, really uh, looking forward to this episode again. So, Peter Paul, introduce them. Yeah, sure. With uh, yeah, two very uh, active members of our tech community at Bol.com. So with uh, Alexandra Yuganou and uh, Rogier Lommers. Rogier has been on the show before, both uh, uh, acting as a tech lead in tech lead role. So uh, yeah, it's awesome to have them here, uh, especially uh, given the stuff they have already uh, done in the cloud. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to this. Hey, well, one of you wants to introduce what we are doing in the cloud. Who can was that? I think you're the best one to do it, Alexandra. Yes, thanks. Uh, yeah, so uh, about uh, our uh, cloud migration project in general at Bol.com, I think we started um, two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, uh, with uh, some teams that were seen as pilot teams trying to crack all these uh, new advantages that Google Cloud was uh, bringing to us. Yeah, we are using, by the way, Google Cloud platform for as a cloud provider. So um, uh, uh, several teams started to migrate their services uh, to Google Cloud. And uh, I was, for example, also part of the uh, first pilot teams that actually did this. So migrating our services from the data center for uh, from our own data center to Google Cloud Platform. Of course, everyone was uh, super enthusiastic about it because we have quite some uh, techies at Pol.com. So uh, um, going from our own built-in solutions to managed 
solutions by Google was, uh, I think, a big step for us. So uh, we are still discovering that our migration is not yet complete. I think right now, correct me if I'm wrong, we have around 60-70% of our workloads already running in the Google Cloud. So uh, still uh, some parts uh, remaining uh, there. That's already quite an achievement in that, uh, that period. Uh, I think the planning is that uh, um, the, what I heard is that we go going almost fully to the cloud, but uh, yeah, five percent we we don't move to the cloud just because uh, on, on different reasons, several reasons we have for that. So we uh, we uh, will remain having a kind of hybrid situation there. But um, yeah, talking about the cloud in itself, uh, the cloud strategy. Um, Rogier, is that your subject to uh, to talk about? Now, yeah, yeah, we see, we see. Um, yeah, there are like three different types of um, um, of, of strategies, uh, and they also have a name. So you can start with a lift and shift, which basically mean that you take your service, which is now running on the old infrastructure. So in our case, it's our own data center, and we want and teams want to move it to the cloud. And then if you choose choose the, the lift and shift uh, way, that means that you just pick it up, <laughs> pick your service, don't change it, only put a Docker container around it and uh, deploy that container in, in Google. So your, your service itself uh, stays unchanged. And the only way is, uh, the only difference different is where it runs, basically. The second way of migrating uh, is called move and improve which means that um, the service running in DC, that you make uh, make changes uh, here and there, change the way the data is uh, is being ingested, or, or, or yeah, just change it, make it a bit more compatible with the way things work in the cloud, and then uh, run it in the cloud. And the third way um, we um, identify is the rip and replace, which means start all, all over again, uh, basically create a new service and um, run it in the cloud. Um, at Ball, we have uh, we have an, an Excel framework, uh, which is uh, uh, based on uh, Java, on Spring, and um, um, uh, nine out of ten times teams are able to do a lift and shift because Excel is already very compatible with the cloud. But uh, but yeah, but there are also the the, the more bigger and uh, often legacy applications which require a move and improve. And therefore, and they are the interesting uh, services because that's where the biggest improvements are um, are um, are possible. And I think MESS is such an example, uh, Alexandra, right? Yeah, exactly. So when we started our first Google Cloud migration, I think uh, almost three years ago, we started to look into what technologies are available for us, what is the technology stack that would fit our purpose. Uh, for this application called MESS, um, we realized soon after that we would benefit more from the cloud if we rebuild it completely. To be honest, we also had uh, a bit of legacy and our application was uh, not really the best one on production. We had criticals, we had emergencies. So we took the chance of the cloud migration to actually make the application better, more mature, but also to benefit from all the cloud uh, technologies out yeah. there. Yeah. Alexander, before we dive into that in detail, um, um, maybe two things to uh, to uh, to explain for the audience. 
Rogier uh, mentioned the Excel framework. Uh, people only just started uh, recently to, to, to listen to us. We have an earlier episode talking about Excel. So if you want to know what it is about, uh, how we how we created our own framework, yeah, listen listen to that episode, I would say. Uh, and the other thing is, um, I'm curious, hey, you're, you're talking about the team working on, on MESS, um, on the MESS application. How does that work for the teams? Can they use all the, the cloud options there are? Or um, maybe it's good to explain how we uh, do work with, with the cloud yeah. options and uh, how we provide it to the team, just yeah. to... So first, yeah, first of all, I want to mention that at Ball, uh, we don't really avoid the vendor locking in this case. So we are not afraid of using purely Google Cloud managed solutions. So if we think uh, those uh, solutions will benefit our application and it's really suitable the, for the use case, then we will go for them. Uh, this is our main uh, strategy. And basically, when um, when we started the migration, we just did an investigation on what's out there, what kind of database would suit our application, what kind of messaging systems are there, and get, got to know better those technologies. So in the end, we could rebuild the application using these uh, new solutions. Of course, it's quite of a big learning curve. I think uh, at the beginning, of course, it was harder because the pilot teams were also the ones uh, uh, discovering those solutions, learning about it and getting back to the community, uh, all the learnings. Uh, now I think the curve is flattening a bit because we already got quite some knowledge about it. But uh, indeed, that was the, the main point. Does this answer the question? Yeah, so so as a team, you can uh, search for the for the best options to use in the cloud. Um, but um, I, I think in Bot.com we we also need to look at at security and a reliable environment. So yeah. can you just start using it, or what what do you have to do for that? Uh, yes, uh, there are dedicated platform teams that are responsible for the Google Cloud Managed Solutions as well and make it available to the community. So uh, before making it available to everyone, we need to make sure that they are uh, security approved and also that um, Mm, costs are also controlled by us. I mean, we won't start using a technology, uh, for example, I don't know, cloud uh, spanner for a very small, tiny use case, which is uh, 100 megabytes of database. So we need to have this right balance in also allowing teams to use technologies that are suitable for our landscape. Yes, we, we call that. Yep. We call, we call that uh, we give the teams the autonomy, but within the framework. Yeah. So 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 we have um, we of course we we provision our infrastructure based on code. So we have infra as code, and uh, we make use of uh, of all the uh, open source tooling, uh, so like uh, Terraform uh, with the GCP um, Terraform provider. But we have also introduced a small component, which acts as the gateway between our feature teams and the cloud, because the cloud is big, the cloud is new, and the cloud is a lot of new stuff <laughs> arrive at the cloud. And uh, and if we if we don't put some boundaries there, then then you get a build glory. I'm not sure what the English translation is, but then then people get lost, and then you have too many teams using too many uh, components. So there, there, we need some control there, and, and we call that component RCD2. 
Yeah. So teams, feature teams work with R2D2. R2D2 exposes a certain part of what the cloud brings and, uh, and the provisioning happens through Terraform. Yeah, and maybe also good to mention here because uh, Rohir just mentioned that R2D2 will uh, allow teams to use certain technologies. Um, if you're uh, someone that wants to try out something else than what R2D2 already provides for us, we also have this dedicated environment, uh, we call it playground, with uh, not that, almost no restrictions basically in uh, the services that you can, uh, that you can uh, use there. But of course, you don't have the same data as other environment because that's really for trying out uh, new technologies that are not yet proven for us. So you can also play there with the new technologies. And once uh, you are sure that that's something uh, your team can benefit from, you can make a request to make it uh, public, pu publicly available for the community through R2D2. So we will take a... Leave a link to the R2D2 uh, episode in the in the show notes. It was uh, explained by one and a half years ago by two of our site reliability engineers. So uh, if uh, if anyone in the audience interested, it's in the show notes. Hey, and then um, yeah, you you already started the, uh, talking about the one of the applications that we wanted to use as example for this uh, for this uh, show. Um, you wrote an article about uh, yeah auto scaling. Uh, yeah. it, it's also uh, in the in the tech lab uh, website so maybe we should add a show note, a show note link to the, the to that article as well uh, but before we go there um maybe it's good to talk about yeah the the horizontal versus uh, vertical scaling first eh? because that's what we uh, uh, are going to talk about into more detail with around this application yeah, yeah maybe i can explain explain a bit about it um and i always um Think about our colleague Niels Bashes. He 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 has a presentation about um, I think it's about uh, lawn mowing. If you have a, if you have a field which is like 10 by 10 uh, square uh, meters, then then you take a specific size of lawn mower. And and if the field gets bigger, then you just buy a bigger lawn mower, right? But at some point, um, the field is that big that there is, the, and you already have the biggest lawn mower, and then and, and then what? Then you cannot speed up the lawn mowing process. So uh, at, at that point, um, you can. Um, it's better to invest in some kind of way to to um, uh, have a construction where you can tie up a lot of small lawn mowers. So you so you can um, so you can basically scale uh, um, indefinitely or infinitely. So so if you if you buy a bigger lawn mower, that's what we call vertical scaling. And if you buy, uh, if you invest in a in a mechanism to to connect all kinds of small lawnmowers, then that's called horizontal uh, horizontal scaling. And that's typically that's what um, what Alexandra um, applied in the, in the in the mesh application. Yeah, exactly. Nice uh, nice metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Let me give you some context first on what the application actually does. 
So it's called mess, but uh, it's not that messy as it sounds in first place. So it's just uh, an abbreviation from Merchant Express Streaming Service. So it's one of the applications uh, responsible to send all our product catalog to Google Shopping. So through the content API. So basically when people search on Google for a certain product, then you get in the first part of the page, the paid advertisement actually with products from bold.com, but of course from other companies as well. So um, in order to make this application successful, you need to be as real time as possible with your updates. And um, that in itself is one of the challenges at bold.com because, for example, because of the fact that we are a selling platform, our offer landscape is quite dynamic. So imagine this application mess gets sometimes 40 50 million updates a day of offer changes so um, it was critical for us to be as fast as possible as real time as possible to google shopping because in the end if you don't obtain that then you might have customers clicking on your paid advertising and going to the product page at Ball and displaying another price, for example. So that's not what you want as a company. Plus, Google also crawls your website and determines whether you're advertising on the correct price. If you don't, your account will get suspended. So that's a huge uh, loss for us. So this is in uh, several uh, words what the application does. And when we migrated, we were first using Hadoop and Flink and HBase for the solution a while back. And when we migrated to the cloud, we are also using the Excel framework uh, based on Spring Boot and also uh, running it on Kubernetes and uh, Google managed solutions like PubSub, Bigtable, Dataflow templates, BigQuery, and so on and so forth. It's quite a big application, so we, we use quite some, uh, quite some uh, uh, services there. And um, yeah, the application ingests messages from each of the source that we are interested in from the landscape and it holds its state in Bigtable and eventually it will send uh, complete products to Google Shopping. So it was very important to be able to scale this application because not only not all the flows act the same. As I mentioned, offers can be way more dynamic than other. So it was super important to split the application into different flows and basically allowing every flow to scale independently based on something. So uh, so how, how does that work, Alexandra? Did, did every flow become an, an application in itself? So uh, you split it up into smaller services or is it within the same service? Yeah, so it's uh, within the same service account running different smaller applications. Because if you keep one big application in this case, it's harder to scale based on uh, one of the sources because I don't know, there are, for example, product content updates, maybe 1 million a day or something, but offers 40 million. So you wanted to really be in control of uh, finally scaling the part that is a bottleneck in your system. So indeed, it's uh, moving towards several uh, smaller applications instead of a big one. Exactly. So they, they, they are basically saying that the, the number of contents or description updates and measurements and uh, of products changes less and the prices changes more often. 
So we want to be able to scale the, the price updates independently from the what we call content updates, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So to be honest, at first when we migrated, we didn't know that much about scaling. It was already quite a lot to learn about the technologies that we are using now. Of course. Um, so we just started by over-provisioning all these smaller applications. But at a certain moment, we were like, yeah, but how much do you over-provision? And how do you make sure that the amount that you over-provision to will still uh, make sense in two weeks, for example, because I told you how dynamic the landscape is. So that's when we found out about Kubernetes HPA, the horizontal pod autoscaler, because it seemed uh, very natural that this is the way forward for this application. And uh, we started by scaling based on CPU usage, to be honest, it wasn't that uh, good for our case. Sometimes you do uh, see some CPU peaks that are easily confused by Kubernetes of, uh, to a bigger load. So you would sometimes scale up easily when there's no need, basically. And then we found out you can also configure HPA by using custom metrics. And for that, for this application, we started using PubSub. Uh, metric. So uh, basically the backlog that pops up has. So the input products. So yeah, exactly the input part, not the output. So uh, if you're building up a queue in your input, then uh, there's a very, you can follow the blog post. There are the configuration examples there. Um, you can say something like for every 50,000 messages on the queue, spin up a new pod. So it's so, very so you don't look at the application itself. You look at the input queue, yeah. Yeah. and you know that if the input queue is ramping up, then that that you need to catch up. So you need to scale your application. Exactly, but um, yeah. of course, this setting, the HPA, really depends on the nature of the application. So um, there are applications that. Uh, are triggered by REST calls. So maybe you want to use the number of calls on your system instead of the PubSub backlog size. So there are multiple ways to achieve it depending on the, on the nature of the application. And uh, I also want to mention that uh, our conclusion was that HPA is really only the cherry on top of the cake. So you should really pay attention on how you set it and look into the prerequisites because it can actually also give some headaches if you don't uh, set it up properly. <laughs> so, uh, of course, you need to have a scalable application in first place, right? <laughs> and you need to uh, make sure that there are not... Uh, that many bottlenecks in your application and also that scaling infinitely won't cause problems for other services that you might be calling because, uh, for example, even for MESS, the Google Shopping API has a limit on its own. So it's for nothing that we scale infinitely using Google resources because Google Shopping has a limit on itself. Uh, so uh, you need to be careful not to overdo it because that will cause even more problems than the one that you're trying to fix in first place. But they will throttle the number of messages and you will have to accommodate for that. So you have to spend more resources where you're just trying to prevent using resources uh, in the end. Yeah, also. Yeah, so, so, so Alexandra, there's a, there's a queue 
within the within the namespace of mess where where um, um, multiple pods are running all pods scale horizontally and all pods have their own task of processing queues right yeah exactly yeah yeah so so from the outside world uh, also outside your application people still see only mess as a service yeah. what happens what what happens in mess stays in mess yeah. it's kind of a black kind of a black uh, black box which is which is from an architectural point of view really nice and then um uh, somebody uh, fills up the the content queue and then uh, the the pods responsible for content processing they uh, scale up automatically and then you hit Google with that because uh, you want to send all these content changes into Google. And then Google at some point says, hey, back off. You're, you're going too fast. What happens then? Yeah, so there are multiple ways to uh, solve this problem. For us, what we chose is and every time we reach this limit, uh, the messages that didn't get through to Google Shopping will be retried with an exponential back off. So either you retry almost immediately, depending on how bad you reach the limit, because that's also a moving uh, time frame, or you really write it somewhere and you try uh, in two hours. So there's a whole mechanism, which is automatic in our case, that will make sure that all the requests end up in Google. But I think there are also other ways to do it, like uh, throttling your own application and uh, yeah, trying to go into more this direction. Maybe other uh, use cases would benefit more from this uh, second option. Mm -hmm. Do you also scale down when, uh, when Google says uh, back off? Uh, no, we don't scale down. So we only uh, retry, uh, we only uh, write the messages that didn't get through and we'll uh, retry them uh, almost immediately or after a certain uh, amount of time. Because this is, uh, exactly this is, is the next step into our IT organization, I think. We are, we are heading towards a product um, uh, organization and uh, we have defined uh, several products and we want to communicate only through product APIs. And if if everybody is applying horizontal pod scaling, then at some point you have the risk that you that your landscape implodes, right? Because on the on the on the on the one side, uh, an application scales up because there is more work to do. Work to do, yeah. Yeah, and and that 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 uh, these pods hit other products, but if there's something wrong with that other product because a backend service has some hiccups or, or whatever then um, you keep on scaling up. And at some point, um, things really break. So, so having a decent back-off strategy, strategy um, is crucial here. Yeah. yeah, I also think so. And making it consistent throughout the landscape, I think that would help us a lot. Of course, we were among the first ones trying this out, and we are also the end channel. So we know we don't put pressure on any other product API from the landscape, except, uh, I mean, we do put pressure on Google Shopping API. Yeah. So we were a bit, uh, I think, independent to choose uh, an option that better suits us. But I completely agree with you, Rohir, that this uh, should be our fo focus point for uh, for the next period. 
Hey, but Alexander, you said uh, we don't scale down because of uh, the Google uh, side, but I assume you you will scale down if the in uh, the incoming queue uh, goes below uh, yeah, exactly. some threshold, right? Yeah, uh, so if you, for example, set it like uh, for every 50,000 messages, uh, add a new pod, when there won't be those 50,000 messages extra on the queue, then uh, the the algorithm will actually check if you set up a minimum number of replicas and it will scale down to that number. So either one or two or until there's another... Uh, uh, queue building in. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you, you started with um, uh, with this in, in this story uh, explaining how it first works, uh, that you you started scaling with, with all the processes and that you find out that you were scaling also processes that actually didn't need that extra capacity. Um, and now we do it based on, on the specific processes. Do we have numbers on what we now are saving because of this uh, really specific way of scaling for this processes that only needed? Uh, that's a really good question. I added some graphs in the in the blog post itself, so please check that out. Uh, but in terms of costs, it's quite hard to determine uh, because of all the other things that are happening in the processing. Right. So uh, sometimes the biggest cost that an application will have is the database, especially with this more big data uh, oriented services. So uh, there are some gains in running the application, definitely. But if you compare to the whole cost of such an application, those are maybe 5% or something. And don't underestimate the costs of all the headages from the software developers. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I, I was trying to find out. Eh? You have to develop it in, in this specific way. So that's also a cost. Uh, yeah, so do, uh, we, uh, do we gain from it? I but think, I can assume yeah. that if it, only if it's 5% uh, for, for, for this part, it's, it's, it's repetitive and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's skill. So it, uh, it will pay off uh, eventually. Yeah, and especially if you have a landscape with uh, hundreds of microservices, uh, this kind of improvement will add up and will mean uh, a lot in the end for the landscape. Uh, and uh, the fact that, like Rohir mentioned, the developers don't need to manually uh, scale up or down after the peak is gone, then that's a huge gain, I think, that we have. Yeah, and as an, and as an addition, mess um, um, now is totally stateless, right? And uh, and by using native Google products like uh, Data Store, PubSub, Dataflow, and I think BigQuery, they all also scale horizontally. And and, and Alexandra, uh, um, she doesn't have to worry about that. That's yeah. just on Google's side. Uh, the only thing um, Alexandra needs to worry about is Mess, the application mess and the pods within the mess namespace. All the native stuff uh, they are using, it's all there and it, uh, it automatically scales w w uh, together with mess. So that's it's also really a convenient way of developing. Yeah, because I still remember when we were running on Hadoop and we wanted to have more resources, for example, and another we had a shared cluster, so another application was uh, taking away those resources. All of a sudden, we would have an alert, oh, you cannot really 
scale up or start a new process because there's no space on the cluster and that was uh, quite a bummer for us so yeah. now indeed that problem doesn't exist anymore and we can focus on the internals of the application and on the business behind it more indeed yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's now more limited to the to the Google Cloud itself and and uh, how how far we can extend uh, the Kubernetes cluster. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's it, again, this sounds like a, a real uh, a great, uh, nice story, best practice. Um, but there must be uh, times that you thought, okay, why why did we start this uh, uh, implementation? Can you share also these uh, uh, challenges with us? Yeah, uh, I think a bit when we when we started using HPA for the first time and we were trying to use uh, CPU utilization, uh, the fact that it kept scaling up and down with no reason that we could see, uh, that was quite annoying. And for a moment we were thinking, yeah, let's just over provision it and get this done because else look at this fluctuations when there's actually no need. But then we looked into it deeper and we saw those CPU peaks that were actually confused by the algorithm with actual load. So uh, if we tried to explain it and we wanted to move forward, we found the custom metric solution and then we were really happy. So I'm also very happy that we didn't give up at first and we managed to find a better solution that uh, the rest of the organization can now also use. And how was it for you, Rogier, when uh, you got in touch with this, uh, this auto-scaling uh, solutions? Yeah, the, the first time uh, I got in touch was in my previous team, and there, there we we also had a one one big service running in in the DC. And uh, yeah, like Alexander said, if you if you if you if we wanted to speed up things back then, we are we should ask for uh, new hardware. And then the only thing we could do was to m multiply that whole uh, system, right? And, yeah. and then then you also multiply all the pieces inside that system. Which were perfectly fine. So, um, so uh, the, the biggest learning here was really to um, to identify when to move and move and uh, improve, or even better, rip and replace. <laughs> because um, uh, uh, the same as mess, we um, we chose to um, recreate that system to uh, redesign for uh, for the cloud. So um, make smaller subcomponents all within one namespace. So the outside world was not aware of it, but with one big advantage, being able to scale the individual parts based upon their load and their own characteristics. One, for example, um, uh, scales based on CPU because it's uh, it was um, uh, a CPU bounded uh, thing, image rendering. And one other application was indeed uh, triggered by messages on a queue. So then you, you choose um, uh, scaling, auto scaling based on queue sizes. So having these knobs and being in control there is really convenient for uh, for a development team. Yeah. You, you, you both mentioned it now twice. The, the, it's one namespace with different pods in it, right? With different functionalities. Why didn't you split it up further, further and, and create a different namespaces Per uh, per piece per functionality. Uh, what 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 is the the reason behind that? 
I think it also depends how much in common do those functionality have. I think it's better to keep them in one namespace if, for example, they use the same database and they do similar things, but then in different uh, modes or flows. So for me, that was one of the deciding points to keep it under the same namespace. It sounds like a real, a real important uh, architectural uh, choose, uh, right? Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I think there are also technical technical reasons because if you if you run multiple pods within the same namespace, then um, um, uh, for, from a pods perspective, it looks like they are running in the same um, um, network basically. So so they, they they have a direct connection between between each other. And if you go over a namespace, then I think, but correct me if I'm wrong, you should ask the infrastructure guys here, but then then, then there should be some kind of um, uh, not uh, applied, so network address translation, yeah. which is basically yeah. adds a few more hops. Yeah. Now, now, so when, when you run multiple pods within the same namespace, then the, 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 you have a, a better uh, latency. Okay, cool. Hey, yeah, and... and um... Yeah, based on, on what you learned, you, you came up with some uh, prerequisites now, if, if you want to start it uh, like this. Um, can you share some of those? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, it makes completely sense, I think, for everyone to put all the effort in building a scalable application. So like we already mentioned, the Google managed services will definitely help you there because most of the technology also scale together with your application. And then uh, another point, it's important, like we said, to know all the bottlenecks of your system, but also the pressure, the load that you are putting on other systems if you scale uh, indefinitely. Like we also did before setting it, we looked into how the application behaves, what's the throughput, because you need to find that perfect target value on which you will scale. So what's your throughput? What are the resource utilization? What's the performance? What's the cost also? And uh, yeah, just based on this information, find the best custom metric in this case that your system can use in order to use HBA. Yeah. Yep. And like you described it, the, the, the scaling, make your applications uh, scalable. Actually, yeah, what, what Rogier explained is his application was already uh, scalable horizontally. But you need to go uh, to the next level of scaling. You need to know uh, what's going on in the application based on on the different triggers. Uh, so that's yeah. really the, the takeaway as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. and of course the the, the, the obvious uh, prerequisites: um, make sure your application is stateless. We prefer to have small containers because at at any point in time, Kubernetes can decide uh, to to kill your pod because yeah, work is done, or to scale up, and then you want your application to be your container to to be up uh, within uh, within uh, the, the smallest uh, time possible. Take care of decent health checks. We have seen um, uh, applications where where the health checks were not um, configured um, correct, and then the load balancer thinks that the pod is is already up, but in fact it isn't up, and then you get uh, HTTP uh, 500 um, uh, errors. And yeah, on the other on the other uh, side, uh, make sure that you implement a graceful shutdown because if your pod has a uh, has been told to shut down um, uh, himself, then it should first finish all the work 
before it actually gets uh, gets killed. So these are all kinds of things which we, back in the DC times, feature teams were not really thinking of, but now they should. Uh, is it an experience you uh, you gained just after you needed it? Uh, um, did you did you experience it yourself? <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, like all the things. Yeah. You just oh, like, damn. What what what's happening? What's happening? Yeah. You, it's still yeah. Running. And then and then you enter the pod and then you, oh okay hmm, maybe this is wrong here. Yeah. Found it and then yeah. finding out learning, the hard way. Learn, learning by do. Yeah. Finding out yeah. the hard way. That's, that's the sentence I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we have several examples of that where, where basically the, the work amount that the service had to handle was too large. So they then for, then for example, the pot would get the request finished and then it will wait for the work to finish. But uh, if that amount of time is just so hard, it, it doesn't finish the work and then the pot shuts down. And basically, the chunk of work has just all over again. And then uh, this yeah. can uh, be indefinitely and it really... Uh, can drive some people crazy trying to find out what's going on and why isn't this work being done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, uh, Pet Paul, we're already heading towards the end of the show. So, um, yeah, do you have questions left uh, before we go to the closing round? No. So, uh, I, I'm really happy with sharing this example because I think that, that it gives great insight on how we do this approach to move into the crowd. But it also shows how we move there and then learn things and keep refining things. And I think that the keep refining things is also really important. So I, I really like this example and it triggers all kinds of things in my head for, oh, we also did some other projects in the cloud and we really should also talk about that. So but that's for our next uh, episodes, <laughs> basically. Hey, um, yeah, then, then the, the last question uh, over here in Alexandra. Yeah, what do you really want to uh, give as a, as a takeaway for the for the listeners? What do you really want to remember them from this listening to this podcast? Good question. I think uh, I like to remind everyone that scaling in general is important. Auto scaling is something that became possible for us recently. And um, I think it's one of the biggest benefits that uh, that we have right now with the new setup. But in the same time, we need to use it precautiously and to do all the prerequisites before setting it up to save us headaches and not give us even more headaches. Nice. Um, <clears throat> I always say choose cloud native components. Why? Why should teams run their own MongoDB when there's a native Google um, key value store available. They, they, only, they only need to, to ask the Google API, hey, give me a key value store and bam, there it is. No need to, 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 um, to, to uh, run your own um, uh, databases, data stores, uh, Redis instances, whatever. Google has it. Ask for Google. We pay for it. Use it so you don't have to maintain it. So uh, yeah, go cloud native. That's that's uh, that's my uh, motto here. <laughs> nice. Go cloud native. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Rogier uh, and uh, Alexandra, for these uh, insightful uh, stories and, and explanation of how, yeah, how we use the cloud, how we look at the stuff, how we uh, learned what we uh, know nowadays. Uh, Finding out the hard way, it's always uh, good to share those stories as well, I think. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get uh, 
you inspired again. So um, yeah. thanks for listening. Also, thanks for inviting us and having us. It's great to have you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for Tech Lab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn or mail techlab at ball.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun!